Hello everybody, Colton Lawrence, your Trucker CFO, here today with another edition of the Trucker CFO Podcast, and I am joined today by our podcast producer, Greg Thompson. Today we've got a very timely conversation that we're going to have, and a very important one. The 2022 midterm elections have just taken place. We're actually still waiting for some of those results, and we are going to discuss the implications of this election and what it means for independent contractors, owner-operators, and company drivers alike, regardless of which way this election falls. Greg, thank you for joining. Happy to have you, and thank you for coming in to discuss this topic. Colton, as you know, I am one of these guys who's sort of a political buff, studied it for a number of years. And as you know, and as our longtime listeners know, we did a review shortly after the 2020 election. If we can, let's start by reviewing the last couple of years. And the reason I bring it up is because both sides, between the ads and the punditry and all that, you get all of these predictions and everything. And folks say, well, it's going to be this way or that way. But it's still politics. It's government. So let's go back a couple of years. Yeah, let's do that. We can definitely talk about some of those things that we brought up at that time. I do think it's relevant, and I think it's important for our listeners to know that this discussion and the discussion we had two years ago really focused on how the election impacts the trucking industry and impacts the drivers within the trucking industry. And during that conversation two years ago, we talked about taxes, of course. It's trucker CFO. We're going to talk about taxes, right? We also talked about AB5, and then we talked about infrastructure. I think those are three things that definitely are are very pertinent to the transportation industry and to our listeners. As it pertains to taxes, some of the things that we talked about were a comparing and contrasting of what a second Trump administration would mean for taxes versus a Biden administration. As we know now, with two years of hindsight, Biden did win that election. And we also have the hindsight of being able to see what he actually did with taxes. And frankly, he did what he said he was going to do. He increased the top rates on taxpayers earning more than $400,000 a year. There was some other stuff that he wanted to get through, but because of the split governments and because of some other checks and balances, especially related to Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, Biden and his administration had to kind of scale back some of the things they were looking to do with taxes. But he did get through a fair portion of what he was trying to accomplish. Some other things that they looked at were payroll taxes. They were wanting to re-implement some of the changes that had happened with the Trump administration as it pertains to itemized deductions. That obviously is a very important one. As company drivers know, prior to the Trump tax changes, they were able to deduct per diem as an unreimbursed employee expense. And with the changes that went through, that went away. Biden had proposed maybe bringing that back. Whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, it did not get brought back during the first two years of the Biden administration. Some other things that happened, obviously, we were going through COVID. We had a number of COVID-related laws that passed during the last two years and a number of funding bills that came through that extended and changed some of the tax laws. We had a number of COVID-related stimulus packages that came through. All those things came through during the first two years of Biden's administration. So a lot of stuff did happen, and I think it's important that we take a look at that and look at maybe how the next two years of a Biden administration will change or maybe not change some of the things that he got done during the first two years. 
Well, one of the things that you mentioned briefly was AB5, and that's happened in the last couple of years. That's not necessarily related to who's in the White House, the Congress, or the Senate, but it is something that came before the Supreme Court. As of right now, AB5 is one that the Supreme Court is taking a pass on. Now, as we know from the podcast series, we talked with Doug Graw from the Graw Group, AB5 is now moving forward, but there could be an additional challenge to that if it's reworded. The court didn't say no, they just said not this time. From what Doug related to us, it sounds like that might make a comeback in a different form in another time. But the point we want to make here, as everyone knows, the industry is now moving forward, understanding that AB5 is not going to be heard by the Supreme Court at this time. That's right. AB5 was definitely a big topic that we've covered over the last two years. As it pertains to the Supreme Court, there was a lot of disappointment within the industry that they did not take up that case. One of the things that we discussed a couple of years ago on our election podcast in relation to AB5 was what was called then House Bill 1. House Bill 1 was essentially a federal version of AB5, and that did not go very far. We had a number of senators, including Joe Manchin, that basically said that that bill would be dead on arrival. Needless to say, AB5 is a topic that will continue to be forefront in our minds and forefront in the minds of our listeners because it has a significant impact to their business and their operations and their ability to go out and make money as independent contractors and owner-operators. Well, Colton, you also mentioned infrastructure. And one of the things that happened over the past two years was a massive infrastructure bill that was passed. And it was done on a bipartisan level. It was one of those things that Democrats and Republicans could agree, hey, we need to fix things. We need to fix our roads, our bridges, and we need to look at truck parking and things like that. What we've seen through the Biden administration in the Department of Transportation under Secretary Pete is that they are really giving an ear to trucking. And there are going to be some things that happen that are very positive that are coming out of this infrastructure bill. We'll see over the next couple of years, but things are very promising in that area. Definitely, there are a lot of things that are coming from the infrastructure bill. It's interesting, just given the state of politics in our country at this time, you talk about positive things and what is positive to one person is definitely negative to another The infrastructure bill definitely did have some Republicans that supported it, but there were not very many. So what that has caused is a lot of frustration on the part of most Republicans. A lot of that frustration comes from the fact that there is so much built into that infrastructure bill that frankly doesn't have anything to do with infrastructure. A lot of the climate change type projects that were built into that is causing a lot of angst. There's a lot of social type infrastructure that is built into that bill that a lot of Republicans and conservatives disagree with. But when you break it down and you do look at the part of that infrastructure bill that is going to benefit trucking and transportation, there is a lot of good stuff that I think most truckers would agree with and be happy with in terms of new bridges, new roads, less wear and tear on their trucks from those old bridges and old roads. And it's going to take some time to get that stuff done. But all in all, I think a lot of that type of stuff is a good thing for the industry and for our listeners. And the reason I brought it up, and I think you know, is that the industry and many groups have talked about the need to repair the country's infrastructure, the roads, the bridges, the pipelines. If you take a look particularly at the interstate highway system, and about 15 years ago, I was invited to be part of a ceremony celebrating the 50th anniversary of the launch of Eisenhower's vision for the interstate system in the country. 
It was a real cool event. One of the executives I worked for at the time was involved with the ATA, and I got a chance to be invited to this event. One of the things when we look into that system, if you look at the history of it, it was planned to have a lifespan of 75 years. And like I said, it was about 15 years ago. What I'm trying to tell you is that we're in the latter, latter third of the 75 years. It's showing in a lot of places. So for trucking to have money that's going into repairing roads and bridges, things that are literally falling apart, this is a very positive for the industry. Again, noting that in any large bill that's constructed by Congress, they always talk about getting their piece of pork in and that, and there's always something like, is that really infrastructure? Like, well, I guess it could qualify, but point being, when bring it back to trucking, is that we're gonna see a lot of road construction, which I know slows things down, but it's gonna be welcome over the long haul because the roads and bridges are going to get better. They definitely are gonna get better. As an example, I was reading the other day about a proposed change to I-80 outside of Laramie. That change would shift I-80 north from where it is at currently, which I'm sure many of our drivers know if they are over-the-road truckers, that can be a very, very treacherous part of I-80 in the wintertime. It regularly gets hit with snowstorms, with windstorms. There are a number of accidents up in that area. And this proposed infrastructure project would shift I-80 north about 20 to 30 miles and would take them up closer to one of the highways that run across that section of Wyoming. The price tag for that change is 10 to $20 billion. Oh. So that gives you an idea of some of the things that they're looking at doing across the country. And that's definitely an example of something that would benefit our listeners and truckers in general. Absolutely. And now let's talk about the next two years. We mentioned at the top of the podcast, we're actually recording this on November the 11th. You've got three Senate races that are undecided. Right now, as we record this, Georgia's going to go to a runoff. We know that. There's Arizona, where Mark Kelly is leading the Democrat. And then we've got Nevada, which is really a toss-up out there. If Nevada and Arizona go to the Democrats, it'll be 50-49 regardless of what happens in Georgia. If Nevada goes to the Republicans, then Georgia would be back in the spotlight just as it was two years ago for control of the Senate. So that's where we are there. In Colton, I believe, in the House, there are around 20 races right now that are still being counted. And I know there's different projections depending on what sources you look at, but I think the consensus right now is that the Republicans will have a slight advantage in the House. Whether that's going to be two, three, four seats, we don't know. There's still a possibility that the Democrats could control that. So let's talk about the next two years what we see if the Senate is, again, 51 to 50, again, with Vice President Harris being the one who's casting the deciding vote on a 50-50 Senate split down party lines. And then let's talk about very interesting prospect of the House being Republican, yet very close margin, because we know that coming into it, Folks talked about there was a lot of momentum that there could be a 20-30 seat advantage for the Republicans if the House flipped. That's not going to happen. So we're going to have divided government, but it's going to be divided government that we haven't seen in quite a while. 
That's absolutely right. I think it's important for our listeners to understand what it means for each party to have control of the different branches of government. The Republicans are really hoping and banking on taking control of the House because what that does is it gives them the ability to go in through the Oversight Committee and launch a number of investigations that they are wanting to get through on topics such as Hunter Biden, on things such as the Afghanistan withdrawal. Those are all things that they will be able to basically talk about and investigate over the course of the next two years at a minimum. Then again, on the side of the Senate, it's important to understand that having control of the Senate allows them to appoint the judges at a federal level. So even though we will likely have this split between the two houses, and more than likely, not a lot of legislation will get passed over the next two years. Each party is able to accomplish a number of administrative things that will help push their different agendas. And all of that does definitely have an impact on our listeners in terms of where the government is going, the types of things that they're going to be looking at, the types of things the Republicans will be trying to repeal from the prior administration, the types of judges that the Senate would be trying to push through. All of that ultimately ends up impacting all of us in very different ways. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's say that the predictions are on par right now, that it's going to be a Republican House by a narrow margin. Let's say that the predictions are correct and Democrats continue to have control of the Senate. Of course, the president is in the White House. The president has the ability to have a veto pin if something comes through that the administration doesn't like. But these two bodies have to get along. For instance, the debt ceiling has to be renewed and passed. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's something that impacts all of us. Yeah, that is something the Republicans are going to have to really think about. I know that the last time Republicans had control of the House, that was one of the items that they definitely used a lot. They held the government hostage. They tried to use that as leverage against the other party and actually use it as leverage within their own party. And ultimately, it resulted in their polling numbers decreasing drastically. A lot of the American public was not happy with what they were trying to do and the way they were trying to accomplish it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if indeed the Republicans take control of the House, what they do with funding the government. That is also something that's important to note about the House, because not only do they have control of the Oversight Committee, but they are also the ones to set the budget for the government moving forward, which is why they then have to approve the debt ceiling limits. All of that plays into the way our government functions and funds itself. And the reason I brought that up is that those of us who are out here in the working world in which all of our audiences, they're running small businesses, they're trying to make ends meet every week. And I think all of us out here in the working world, regardless of party, we want our government to function on some level. One of the things that is concerning as a country is that you don't want something that the government does or doesn't act on, like the debt ceiling, to cause prices to go nuts or something cataclysmic to happen. These folks that are in power have to get along on some level to keep things moving forward. I don't know if you agree with that, but I just want to throw that out there. I definitely hear what you're saying, and that's why I say if the Republicans do indeed take the House, they've really got to consider what they do there. If they choose to not fund the government, I know they understand what the implications of that are going to be in terms of real money to people that are very important. It impacts the wallets of our service people in the military. It impacts the wallets of many others across the country. And if they choose to go that route, it more than likely will result in their polling numbers decreasing. But when they do this, they do 
it with a larger picture in mind. Agree with that picture or not is not the point of this conversation today, but it is really getting into the weeds of politics and what the politicians are trying to accomplish when they wield the power at any given time. So Colton, as we talked about, we still don't know necessarily what the landscape will be precisely, but what I want to look at right now is if we have a Republican-led Congress, what is that going to look like? And I know Kevin McCarthy's been mentioned as Speaker of the House. He's a candidate for that. There are others. And let's talk specifically about McCarthy and what he can do and what he can't do with a narrow margin that he'll have in the House of Representatives. Well, as I have watched on the news and seen a few of the interviews that McCarthy has done, what he has vowed to do on day one, in his words, is to repeal the 87,000 IRS agents that have or will be hired over the course of the next several months. The question is, can he really do that? I would say that he probably will not have the supports to get that all the way through both houses. He probably can get it through the House of Representatives, assuming they have control there and he is the speaker. But more than likely, he will not be able to get that through the Senate for a number of reasons. I think mainly because they will not have that veto-proof majority that would be needed to get it done. There is the chance that they could use reconciliation, which is something we talked a lot about during our last election podcast. It is what was used by the Democrats to get through the Inflation Reduction Act. It was what was used by the Republicans to get through the Trump tax cuts. However, with reconciliation, it is something they can only use once per year. So it is something they have to be very thoughtful about and make sure they are able to get in those things that they want to get through because it is not something they can pull the trigger on every single time they want to pass a bill. And the other thing, too, that you have to remember is that if you get it through the House, you get it through the Senate, and it's something that the Biden administration does not want. President Biden can veto it. It then has to go back, and it has to be passed, I think, by a two-thirds majority to do an override. There's a high bar that you have to climb. So something like that with both houses of Congress being so divided in terms of Democrat and Republican. I would think that the 87,000 agents are here to stay, at least for a while. I believe that they are here to stay. It's important for people to understand that at any time a law is passed by Congress, it is put into law, it is very difficult for that to be repealed. It's difficult regardless of which party it is that passes it. So whether you're a Republican and you don't like something the Democrats have done or vice versa, it is very, very difficult to get those laws reversed. So when we look at what was put through in the Inflation Reduction Act as it pertains to the IRS, here with the trucker CFO team, we are proceeding here with the assumption that the IRS and the money that they have received through the Inflation Reduction Act is going to come through. They are going to have those agents. They are going to proceed with their enforcement compliance initiatives. That essentially means that they're going to start back up with their audits. They're going to start back up with all of the types of things that they do to make sure people are paying the taxes they're supposed to pay based on the laws that are on the books. Again, not to get too political here, but in our opinion, the IRS is there to simply enforce the law. Those laws are there. We work with our clients to make sure they don't pay a dime more than what the law requires them to pay. With this money the IRS has received, there's going to be more eyes looking at the tax returns and making sure that exactly that happens. And that's why we are here to make sure everything gets done correctly. But to wrap things up on this topic, 
the IRS, in my opinion, is going to have that money and they are going to continue down the road that they've been asked to go. Well, last point I want to bring up for you on this is that you've talked about it before and we've talked about it on the podcast before. The fact is that there are a lot of cutbacks at the IRS. The level of enforcement that we've seen in decades past has not been able to happen because there aren't enough people to do it. One of the things that happened through this effort understanding that 87,000 people, that's a lot, a lot of agents, but it's a place that hasn't had a lot of attention in terms of manpower the last few years. We've talked about it before, sort of making up for lost time. Definitely, they've got a lot of lost time to make up for. Anybody that has tried to call the IRS over the last several years knows that it is almost impossible to get through. I personally have waited on hold with the IRS for hours upon hours trying to get through and talked to the IRS in order to help certain clients. I know many of our staff here on the Trucker CFO team have done the same. And we also have many clients who have spent hours upon hours driving down the road, hauling a load, simply waiting on hold to get through to the IRS and ask them a question only to be hung up on after two or three hours of waiting. It is a very, very frustrating time if you are trying to work with the IRS to simply obey the law, file your taxes, get them done accurately, timely and in a way that keeps you out of trouble with them. So when they send out letters saying you've got this issue or that issue and that you need to call them or respond with a certain amount of time, again, it's very frustrating when you try to do that and you can't get through. What this money does for the IRS, it allows them to hire a number of agents. In fact, to date, what we have heard is that they have already hired 4,000 agents simply to answer the phone. And we have already seen that make a difference and there will be more that are coming. When it comes to the IRS and the Inflation Reduction Act, and we talk about these 87,000 agents, it's important to note that it is not going to be 87,000 people that are walking around with guns trying to take your assets because you haven't paid your taxes. It is simply to get the IRS back up to a state that they can operate effectively so that they can operate in a way that allows them to enforce the laws and I know that there's a lot of conversation out there right now politically about simply following the law, obeying the law on both sides of the aisle. This is definitely an area where, as a country, we need to collect taxes. You can agree or disagree with what those tax laws are, but the fact of the matter is those laws are there and they need to be followed. We are a country of law and order. We need to follow the laws and the IRS is there to enforce those laws and they need the manpower to make sure that that happens. So Colton, as you share those notes, it makes me recall something that you've said both here on the podcast and on your appearances on Radio Nemo. And that is something to talk about in terms of the need for these 87,000 agents and this renewed focus by the IRS because there are how many millions of paper returns in warehouses? How many years does it go back? Yeah, well, I don't think anybody knows the exact number. I've heard numbers at one point that were as high as 25 million pieces of mail that were sitting in warehouses, many of which included tax returns that had been filed or amended tax returns that had been filed. The latest number I've heard floated around there is about 10 million pieces of mail that are sitting out there in warehouses. Either way, the IRS is trying to work their way through it, but they definitely need some help getting all the way through that backlog. And it is definitely having an impact 
impact on taxpayers. When we work with taxpayers that are trying to get caught up on their taxes, many times those tax returns do have to be paper filed, which means it has to be mailed into the IRS. And what happens is that return goes and sits in one of these warehouses. And in the meantime, the IRS is continuing to send out communications, letters, threatening to levy, threatening to take money out of their bank accounts, threatening all this different action when in fact the tax return is sitting in a warehouse waiting to be processed. So there is definitely a lot of work that needs to be done. And frankly, it's just somewhat of a disaster right now. You talk about something that's overwhelming and that is just one element that the government oversees. And it gets back to the beginning of our conversation. What is leadership gonna look like over the next couple of years? And what is leadership gonna do? And the thing is, is that we have some good idea about where things could go depending on who's in power. But at the same time, you just never know because as you talked about, when the Democrats said, we got the White House, we've got the House, we've got the Senate, what's happened over the last couple of years because there have been some checks and balances, whether it's been Joe Manchin, or Kristen Cinema, those things don't always happen the way everybody predicts them to happen. But it's important to have these conversations because there are many things that are discussed in Washington that have an impact on those of us out here trying to do our work, trying to run businesses, and trying to move down the road. So it's been a great discussion, and I want to thank you for all the insight that you've shared with us. I want to give you an opportunity for any closing thoughts. Well, Greg, I'm definitely excited to watch this over the next two years. It will be an exciting time, if not a frustrating time, depending on what your political leanings are. And hopefully this topic was done in a way that somebody can't look at us and say, hey, Colton, or hey, Greg, you took much more of a right-leaning approach to this or much more of a left-leaning approach to this. I think we've really tried to take the approach of what does it mean for our drivers, regardless of what your political leanings are. That is our goal here, and to make sure that we just get the best information out there possible. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, it's about collecting information, getting perspective, you guys get to make those decisions based on the information that you collect, the perspective that you are able to gather. We really appreciate the opportunity to share what we're seeing out there. And again, Colton, you hit it right on the head. Neither one of us was trying to go, hey, it needs to be this side or that side. It's just a conversation about what's happening and what could happen, keeping things moving forward and keeping the business that our audience is running, keeping those businesses, moving them forward and keeping them as profitable as possible. That's the goal at the end of the day is to help them be as profitable as possible. And getting this information out there to them is definitely a big part of that. I'm definitely looking forward to having future conversations as we watch the next two years of this administration and the next two years of the House and the Senate and what they try to do, the laws they pass, and the things that they do that will impact our listeners are definitely things that we're going to be having conversations about. Well, Greg, we are definitely getting close to the end of the year. We just had the elections here in November. We are getting close to the next tax season, if you can believe it. For those of our listeners that are wondering more about our services, how we can help them with their tax preparation needs, with their accounting and bookkeeping needs, and if they're just wondering how to get additional information on the resources we offer, here is a friend of the show. Do you have a team of tax, accounting, and business advisory professionals who understand the complexities of the trucking industry? 
there are a number of ways you can connect with the Trucker CFO team. You can visit the company's website at truckercfo.com. That's truckercfo.com. From the homepage, you can fill out the contact us form, which will send an email to a Trucker CFO representative. Also, through the truckercfo.com website, you can connect to the company through the Find a Time to Talk button to set up an appointment, or you can use the chat feature. If you would rather email the Trucker CFO team directly, you can reach out to the company through the following address, info at truckercfo.com. That's info at truckercfo.com. You can also call the Trucker CFO team toll-free at 1-800-533-4230 and hit option 2 for sales. That toll-free number again is 1-800-533-4230 and choose option 2. The Trucker CFO podcast is produced by Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo in collaboration with the team at Trucker CFO. Before we close out this edition of the podcast, please keep in mind that every tax situation is unique and perspectives shared on this podcast should not be considered as tax advice. If you have questions regarding your specific tax situation, you should consult a qualified tax professional. Thanks again for joining us on the Trucker CFO podcast. Just as a reminder, you can find and subscribe to our podcast through all major podcast platforms. If you do become a subscriber, we'd like to ask you to take a moment to rate the Trucker CFO podcast. Throughout 2022, Colton Lawrence, the Trucker CFO, will be making regular appearances and taking calls for professional drivers on the Dave Nemo Radio Show and the Tim Ridley Show. Both of these programs are part of Radio Nemo, and they can be heard through SiriusXM's Road Dog Trucking Radio. All of the programs from Radio Nemo can be heard in the mornings on SiriusXM's Channel 146 or through the SiriusXM app. To learn more about Radio Nemo, visit RadioNemo.com. That's N-E-M-O, RadioNemo.com. As always, Colton Lawrence and the entire Trucker CFO team wish you the best for continued safe travels and good health as you work to keep the American economy on the move. <laughs>